Good morning. It's good to have you here today. If you're in Kidmo, I'm going to let you go ahead and head back to Kidmo. If you're a guest and have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is a place for them to go have their own time of teaching games, small groups, and uh, just enjoy while you all are in here with me. So uh, you're welcome to walk back with them and see where they're headed. We're glad that you're here with us, and today we're going to be doing something a little different. Uh, I want to talk to you a, a little bit a little bit more abstractly about what does it mean to be the body. And uh, whenever we do a series like this, I always, it's kind of a, I have a love-hate relationship with series about the church because there's so much misunderstanding about what the church is. It's easy for us to come and talk about the nuts and bolts of the church. How do you organize a church? What are the volunteer needs of the church? What are the finances of the church? When does does the church meet? When are the services? What kinds of services do you have? Some people want to know what, you know, what do you believe about certain things? What version of Scripture do you use? Uh, you know, what do you believe about some of the spiritual gifts, like speaking in tongues or prophecy or things like that? Uh, and really what we can have a tendency to do when we talk about the church is we can actually take away what is the true essence of the church and get so bogged down on all of the moving pieces of the organization of a faith community. And in reality, uh, it's, there's so much more to following Jesus, and I want to talk to you today about one key aspect, and you'll probably have already figured out what it is, one key aspect that if this does not exist within a body, then there is no way that we represent the body of Christ. So as we talk through this, I want to ask you a couple of questions just to get started. I, I think you can follow along on version this morning, by the way. I understand last week it wasn't, it wasn't showing, so if, if we ever have that issue and you want to follow along on your smartphone... Uh, and they say it's not working. So uh, I don't know. It's supposed to be working. I don't know why it's not working. Um, we'll try to get that figured out. So the, is the direct link not working either? The direct link might work. No, it's not. Okay. Well, they're working on that and seeing why it's not showing. But, um, but that is a good way for you to follow along. Uversion is also a great tool that you can use if you want to um, use, do a, a study plan, uh, if you want to do some kind of a reading plan, um, or you just want to read through Scripture where, where you're at, you don't want to carry another separate Bible with you. It's a great tool that you can, um, that you can use. A couple of questions I want to start with that I really want us to think about is this. One, since you have become a follower of Jesus, now if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're curious, this is not really your thing, but you're checking it out and you're not real sure if you really want to know Christ or be a Christian, or if you even believe that that is real or true, then you can kind of ignore these couple of questions. But the first one is simply this. Since the moment that you became a Christian, do you feel that you have grown in your knowledge of Scripture? I want you to think about that. If you think back to the time for that moment that you knew it was a life-changing moment for you, and then where you are today, do you feel that you have grown in your knowledge of Scripture? I would hope that for most of you the answer would be yes, but it's not always. Would you say that right now you are in a point where your knowledge of Scripture is growing, that you feel you're learning, you're experiencing new things, you're exploring, it's an adventure that you are going to new places that you haven't gone before? Perhaps you do feel that in some way you have grown in your knowledge of Scripture, but at the same time, maybe right now you feel like, well, that, I have grown, but I really haven't grown lately. Well, my second question is really, I think, more important than the first, and that is, do you love as well as you used to? I want you to think about that. Do you love as well as you used to? In your relationships with others around you, do you find yourself loving more fully? Do you find yourself, when more people come into a relationship with you, that you love them quickly? Do you find that as you consider how you should treat others, that the number one thing that comes to your mind is, I need to love this person? Do you find yourself loving more fully than you did when you first knew Christ? Now, what happens if we put a room full of Christians who have been Christians for a while, 
They're growing in their knowledge of Scripture, and they're growing in their involvement in a local church. What we often find is that their capacity to love actually seems to decrease, not increase. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us when we read through Scripture and read so much about love being the center of our faith, and yet how we treat others and how we engage others is truly what the gospel has any power in which to influence someone else, our ability to love them. So my question would be, do you feel that right now you are loving people more or less than you once did? All right, you version apparently is working now. Thank you, Jeremy, for getting that going. I don't know what he did, but it is going if you want to do that. If you'll open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, I want to start here. And I'm going to go through several scriptures this morning because I want to paint a picture that perhaps your knowledge of scripture, while many who are going to church regularly are growing in their knowledge of scripture, may actually be hurting your relationship with Christ. Now, I'm not going to be at any point today encouraging you to read less scripture because at no place and at no time should we be less concerned with what God wants to say to us. However, it is very possible that you and I can love God's word and not love God's people or people outside of the church. It is possible. So you're not going to hear me say, you know what, let's just spend some time not reading Scripture. You're never going to hear me say that. However, I do know that it's possible that you may be spending a lot of time in your Bibles, but it may not be changing your heart towards others. This is Revelation chapter 2. If you've got a Bible in front of you, it's possible that the words are written in red. Whenever you see words written in red in a red letter edition of the Bible, whichever version you may be using, those words are usually being attributed by the authors or by the, the publishers of that version that, that Jesus spoke these words. And you may know that the book of Revelation is one of the last pieces of revelation that we receive from God. And you may be wondering, well, Jesus, I know, has already died. He's already come back to life, and then he's already gone to heaven. Why is the book of Revelation, why does it have any red letters in it? And interestingly enough, the book of Revelation was written by John, who had a vision. And if you read the very first chapter of the book of Revelation, what you'll find is that John begins to hear someone speaking to him. And when he turns to see who is speaking to him, those words are attributed to Jesus himself. So some of what we're going to read today in the book of Revelation are spoken from Jesus himself, not from some interpretation. But this was a vision that that John had speaking directly with Jesus. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, "...to the angel of the church in Ephesus." So this is a word that Jesus has at this moment for the church and that we know the letter of Ephesians to be written to. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patience and endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But have you tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false? I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. And so as we were to stop here, what we would see is Jesus saying, I know that many of the things I taught you to do, you are doing, and you would feel encouragement. You know what you believe. You are growing in your knowledge. You are seeking out those who are false teachers, and you are turning them away from your body. You are doing good things, things you were instructed to do. But then it turns and Jesus begins to say, but in all of your knowledge and ability to deal with theological issues, I've got a problem with you. And it may very well be that Jesus has a problem with us today in the same way. It says in verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And so what has happened to them may be exactly what's happening to many Christians today. Maybe some in this room, maybe you. Is that they have grown in their knowledge of what it means a Christian is supposed to believe. 
They've grown in what it looks like to supposedly follow Jesus, but what is being left out is a capacity to love. We are in a time where the church is perhaps as divided as our nation is. The church is in many ways turning in on itself and we are attacking each other. In the years that I've been in ministry, we've attacked each other for the types of Bibles we use, for the color of our choir robes. We've attacked each other for what, uh, what version of hymnal do we use? What denomination are we a part of? We've attacked each other based on certain social issues and beliefs that we may disagree on. And what we have a tendency to do and what our nation is in the middle of right now is looking at those who are different and vilifying them. Often, we would like to say the church is above that. But the church is not above vilifying itself incredible to me that we can each pull up and hold up scriptures to say this is what we believe this is what god said and this is why we believe it and yet those that we vilify do the very same thing but our capacity to love that is has always been should always be the determining factor of who we are in the world and how we engage the world around us And what he's saying here, what Jesus is saying when he talks about his first love, and I don't know what your first love was. When I think about abandoning my first love, my first love was in second grade, right? I don't really consider that an abandoning. I don't really think I have given up anything and not still loving the person that I thought I was in love with as a second grader, whatever my understanding of love was at that moment. But what Jesus is saying is he's not talking about who was the first person or the first thing that you felt an emotion of love for. Instead, what we read throughout Scripture is that you and I cannot know love if we do not know God. There is only one way to truly know love. So two people can be in a committed relationship, can be very affectionate with one another. Two people can spend their lives together and never truly know how to love each other if they've never experienced the love of God. It is possible. Love is a word that is thrown around so much so freely today that in many of our cultures, we don't even know what it means anymore. It becomes simply that emotion that we feel giddy or happy or butterflies in our stomach. And yet, sometimes I feel that way whenever we're going to get pizza, right? (laughs) I wouldn't call that love. But we sometimes attribute the very same feeling for someone else as love. But throughout Scripture, what we find is that there's one way and only one way that you can truly know how to love someone, and that is if we know who Jesus is. He is our first love. And the reason that Jesus says you have abandoned your first love, not knowing what their relationship history is, is because the only time you ever knew love was when you first knew him. And every other ability to love after that sprang out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So your first love is Jesus. It is possible to live an entire life and never truly have a first love. If you live your entire life never truly knowing Christ. And we in the church can live our entire lives being devoted to the study of God's Word and missing this incredible moment where we can love the people around us. Often what ends up happening is our passion gets in the way. We become passionate about what we believe in. But let me ask you this. Are we passionate about loving people? It's sometimes hard to determine which of these is true in the world that you and I live in. We're very passionate about what we believe in. We believe that we are right. We go on Facebook and we go on Twitter and we go on all the Snapchat and we try to tell people, you are wrong. Let me show you what I believe in. What I believe in is right. And it never changes anybody's opinions because... Everyone we're trying to sway, they believe exactly as passionately as we do, believing that we are wrong and that we must change. But are we passionate about loving others? 
So this idea of love, and that's why teaching sermons or talking about this type of thing, it becomes a little bit difficult because it becomes somewhat abstract. It's not something that we can just point to a formula. We can just point to one passage of Scripture and say, okay, here you go. Go do this. You're good. You're going to be loving people all over the place. Your love is going to swell. It's going to be incredible. That's not the way love works. As much as we want it to work that way, and as much as we want to say, if you will just be nice and smile to people, then you're showing love. But sometimes being nice and smiling is not showing love. We sometimes think if we just go through and we tell everybody, whatever you want to do, go do it and, and enjoy. I'm loving them because I'm not trying to hold them back from their joy. We know that that is not always love. If your child gets in with a group of friends who decides, let's experiment with drugs, do we go out and buy them drugs because that's what our child wants? Is that showing them love? Absolutely not. Instead, showing love may be taking them to rehab. Showing love may be turning them into the police. Showing love may be moving to another part of town or even to another state to get away from that group. And that will not feel loving from our children. And yet that is what our children need to experience from us, which is true love, to protect, to help them. There are times that it took me to become an adult to realize that some of the things my parents did in raising me I did not feel we're loving, but then as I grew, I began to see, wow, I, know, I now know what they were trying to do. This idea of love, it's difficult. It's easy to sit around and say, I'm just going to love everybody. Well, how, how are you going to do that? And so when we come down to this passage in Revelation, Jesus is saying, not that you need to... Ignore all these other things because Jesus is encouraging them for growing in their theology, growing in their knowledge, growing in being able to find who is a false teacher and removing them from any influence in the body of Christ. He is saying that is a good thing. But if you've abandoned your first love, then none of that matters. Let me ask you again today. Do you love more or as well as you used to. I would like to tell you that today I am on an upward stream in my ability to love others. I love more today than I did yesterday. And yesterday I loved more than the day before. But that would not be honest and that would not be true. There are some times whenever I will read a news story or I will read what somebody has said about Scripture and interpretation that I think is absolutely wrong, and my first thought is not, oh, I love them, any more than your first thought is that. My first thought is, I'm gonna, how do I get in touch with them? I need, to, I need to clear a few things up. Is that love? That's my first thought. My first thought isn't very loving. Are we as passionate about loving people as we are about what we believe in. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, one that we often read, says this about love. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. These are talking about spiritual gifts that God uses to build the body and build up those in the world that don't know Christ so that they would know Christ. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Did you, can you imagine that of those three, faith, hope, and love, two of those are going to be gone one day? Do we have faith that God is real? We have faith that Jesus did walk the earth. He is the Son of God, and He is fully man. We have faith that Jesus died on the cross. We have faith that He rose from the dead. We have faith that He ascended into heaven. And we have faith that He took our penalty for our sins away so that one day you and I, by faith, will be able to go and be with Him in heaven forever. Our hope is that no matter what we experience in this world, there is something better coming. Our hope is that even if no one else agrees with anything we say, as long as we are in agreement with God, that's all that matters. Our hope is that no matter how many times I fail, 
God will forgive me. My hope is that one day this will all be gone and without any fear and without any sorrow and without any dread in life, we will be with Jesus in heaven. But when that day comes, faith and hope will be done away. We won't have to have faith because we'll be experiencing it. We won't have to have hope because it is a reality at that moment. But one thing will always be there. That one thing is love. And we are called as his body to show that now and forevermore. It is the one thing within Scripture that will be forever apart from God. And even then, God is communicated to us as the true essence of love. God is love. Love is so hugely important. Love is what causes us to run into a fire to save somebody when we know we may lose our life in the process. Love is taking that last dollar that we have and that while we have milk in the fridge, our friend is not, and we give it to them so that they can have milk in their fridge. Of course, you have to have more than a dollar a day. But you get what I'm saying. Love is that willingness to say, I'm not going to sit here and let you destroy your life. I'm going to be here with you, even though we could be out doing our own thing. Love is that thing that says there's something more important than me in this world. But love does not come naturally. Affection comes naturally. Lust comes naturally. Love, that does not come naturally. But even so find it so amazing to see how little children interact with each other. Now, sometimes they're pushing each other down and hitting each other and kicking and biting and stuff like that. That's not very loving. But most of the time, little children, they want to play. They want to hug. If one of them gets hurt, they walk over and they say, how are you? Are you okay? And yet we look at them and laugh because that was funny what they just did. That was hilarious. I mean, they're hurt, but that was funny. Kids don't do that. They love. It's amazing how quickly they learn to protect themselves by withholding love. Because if they love the wrong person, that person may hurt them. That person may turn it against them. That person may laugh at them and not return that which was given. And so they learn very quickly, I'm not going to love others. Because loving others is dangerous. Because loving others means I put myself out for someone and they may reject me. Loving others means I put myself out here and I sacrifice for someone else. And yet, for them, they don't even care. And so I protect. I hold my love in. I begin to choose who I want to give my love to. And who do we give our love to? We give our love to people who are like us. We give our love to people who return that to us. We give our love to people who say, good job. We give our love to people who say, I see what you're doing and that is good. And if we want to truly deal with some of the issues in our own community, the growing power of the gang in Chattanooga, we have to understand what they are finding there as corrupted And as unhealthy as it is, they are finding an expression of love that they're not getting anywhere else. See, love is the key. How that is expressed in your life, how that is expressed in your family, how that is expressed when you go to work will demonstrate whether you know Christ or whether you kind of know Christ. It's the difference, and I know a lot about him, But I don't really know him because when you know him, it changes the way that you see others. You know, it's interesting as we read through what happened to all of the apostles. As we read through the horrendous life that they lived once that Jesus ascended into heaven. The incredible torture that they went through. If we read through martyrs of today and we know that right now there is more destruction, torture, and killing of Christians today than at any other time in history, right now. What we don't see are mass groups of Christians turning from their faith in the midst of being killed. Why? Why? Why are they not turning? They take their children and they say, if you will not turn, I'm going to kill your child, and they don't turn. 
They don't give up. They don't say, I reject Jesus. Why? Because they have experienced the thing that makes life matter. Love. And without it, life is not worth living. And so if you're going to ask me to turn my back on the thing that has made life matter, I will not turn my back. If you're going to ask me to exist in this world without Jesus, I will not do it. Because I have found in Him my first love. And how can I turn them away? Because there is no one that can offer what He offers. As we read this in 1 Corinthians 13, what we know is that to love is literally to know God. To love is to know God. When we want to introduce this idea into our relationships with each other, to know is to love God. Now, when we love God, or when we know God, then we follow Jesus. If we're going to know God, we're going to follow Jesus, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way except through Him. And so if we know God, then we love. And if we know God, then we follow Jesus. It's going to happen. When we follow Jesus, that's where we do want to know Scripture. But what you and I live in is a time where education is so important. How many times have we heard, if you don't go to college, you'll have no life? And yet we know so many that didn't go to college that have a better life than those who did. And by better life, I don't necessarily mean a more wealthy life but definitely a more full one. Because we have become a people who value education over being able to truly live. If we're going to follow Jesus, it truly is important that we know what He has taught and where He is leading us. We have no foundation by which to know how do I appropriately love others if I don't know what Jesus has said about it. But if we're going to follow Jesus... It doesn't simply mean that we look ahead and we make decisions based on what Jesus would do. We put what would Jesus do bracelets on our wrists and then we talk about we did what Jesus would have done. To follow Jesus is literally to be recreated in his image. And when we are recreated in his image, God who became man, God who is love, what do you think we're being recreated in? We're being recreated in his love. To show that to others. It's an opportunity for us to not only live as Jesus did, but more importantly, to love as Jesus did. So you and I, we will never do this right if we don't learn to love. It doesn't matter how good our programs are. It doesn't matter what kind of worship services we have. It doesn't matter what we do with children's ministry or outreach or missions. None of that matters if we have not gain the ability to love others. We'll never lead a person to know Christ if they have not seen the love of Christ within us. And we can go an entire lifetime meeting together and singing songs and listening to teaching and growing in our knowledge of Scripture and miss what it really means to know Jesus. Do you love like you used to? Do you find yourself dealing with anger more than you once did? Do you, instead of seeing others and wanting to embrace them and to be a part of their lives and give to them, do you begin seeing other people as dangers to your own? People to be avoided. Reasons to step back and to say, I don't, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. See, that's the world that we live in. But that is not the world of the follower of Jesus. Are we loving as fully as we could? When we're recreated in His image, not only do we love like Jesus did, part of that love means that we have to give our lives away for others. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And Jesus demonstrated what it looks like to give our lives for others. Let me just introduce this idea, which is not new, and and many of you probably would say, well, that's not new, but let me just introduce it for those that it is. There is nothing within you that is worth guarding 
from someone else. There is nothing in you worth guarding from somewhere else, someone else. Even when they want to hurt you, even when they want to reject you, even when they want to say what you offer is worthless. There is nothing that needs to be guarded from others. Because ultimately, love means I will give everything, even if you take my life to show love. See how crucial this is? Scripture doesn't say anything about anything else that we are supposed to give our lives for than this. And that's pretty intense. So as we go to school and we're thinking about all the people that want to reject us, the truth is, he said, love them even if they want to take your life. So we can... We can see that as love them even if they reject you. I'm not going to love people at work. Those people at work are rough. Those people are work at me. Those people at work don't like me. Well, you can love them even if they don't like you. You can love them even if they want to keep you from advancing in your current job. You can love them even if they want to tell your boss how terrible a worker you are. It is still incumbent upon you to love them because if we're supposed to love people to the point of our lives being taken from us, surely we can let someone take our job from us and still love. Because the bottom line is this. You and I could protect ourselves from other people, but in so doing, we separate ourselves from God. And when we separate ourselves from God, does it really matter that we're protected from other people? How do we love? What we see in people who begin to understand faith as precious and wonderful, as something that they would give up anything to have, we find that they are most passionate about this love and this gospel when they first become a Christian. And unfortunately, what we see as we follow somebody through the life cycle of activities, of religious activities, is that love and that passion wanes. It's so incredible that a new believer is so much more passionate in sharing the gospel with others than someone who has been a believer for decades. The only reason that happens is because we have grown in our knowledge of Scripture, but we have not grown in our ability to love. We have not grown in our ability to give to others. When we're recreated in His image, we love like Jesus did. We give our lives away. And interestingly enough, our desires are remade to be what God's desires are. Psalm 37, 3 and 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Incredibly enough, whenever we fully love, our desires change to be the desires of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 8, we read about a passage where Paul is talking to a group of believers. And in this group of believers, they have become accustomed to engaging in a very corrupt culture. And this corrupt culture was an, a worship of idols. And what they would do whenever they would go to eat a meal, they would take this meat and they would present it to their idol. And then they would pray that the idol would cleanse the meat from all of the, the bad spirits that were in it. And so you wouldn't ever just go kill an animal, cook it, and eat it. In this particular culture, they would actually have to take it to their, their idol because if they didn't, they were eating and ingesting these spirits or these demons. And so it became something that they just did, and they did it all the time. It wasn't a huge ceremony. It wasn't like they called a big thing at a church somewhere. They would just, every time they would eat, perhaps you're a a person who prays every time before you eat. It was something similar to that. They just would take it to the idol. The idol would chase off all those bad spirits, and then they would eat it. Now, for a Christian, you would recognize that's silly. That idol's not real. That God is not real. There's only one God that is real, and there's only one God that matters. There's no bad spirits or demons in this meat. I can eat it and be just fine. That is craziness. And yet there were some believers who struggled still thinking, we should not eat that meat 
because it may have spirits or demons, people that didn't truly know the truth yet, and yet they were struggling with their own faith. And so we read in this passage, 1 Corinthians 8, where Paul is admonishing a group of believers who have so ignored the pain of young, immature believers that they've began to hurt them in their own faith. It reads, it goes like this, beginning with 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. We all know something. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. In other words, how many times have we thought we knew something and then we run into somebody and we realize we don't know anything? We thought we were on top of everything and then we deal with some situation or some person and all of a sudden we realize, man, I'm so far behind. I remember when I went to seminary, I thought I was so ready. I told you this I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I thought I was so ready. I was ready to go into a church and just tell them all the wonderful things they've been missing their entire lives. I mean, I was ready. I was educated. And yet when I went, my first pastorate outside of seminary, I realized I don't have a clue what I'm doing. How many of us, when we graduated in our degrees, we started in a career, we went out and our professors told us, you are well prepared only to get in our careers and realize uh, they didn't teach me about any of this stuff, right? That's what he's saying. We, we all think we know more than we really know. If we were in this room and I was to move aside and we had all of a sudden this physical presence of Jesus appear and he began to teach instead of me, we would all be going, Whoa. he would blow our minds. All that we think we know, we don't know anything. But one thing we can do is we can love, because love builds up. Verse 3, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to eating a food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. We know it's not true. We know this is a crazy belief. It has no real existence and that there is no God but one. These idols are not real. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, those are things that we make up, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. Not everybody believes this. Not everybody knows this. Some of them grew up in this. And they still think that there's some, some validity to this. And so, in one of the ways that we love others is we recognize that we have an opportunity to either help or hurt people around us. There's an analogy that I often gave whenever we would do deacons retreats, whenever we had deacons in previous churches. And the deacons were never uh, the you know, biblical role of deacon. They were always more of a governing board, which is not really how the, the Bible talks about deacons. But they would inevitably get all the complaints. They wouldn't come to the pastor. They would come to the deacons. Some people are talking. If any of you have ever been in leadership, you know how that feels. Some people are talking. Well, which people? How many people? Oh, two people. One family. Gotcha. Some people. You never know. And I would tell them, all right, you have an opportunity when a person comes to you with a complaint. And you have two buckets. One bucket is with water. You can pour the bucket of water on the fire that's beginning to burn and put it out, or you can encourage it and inflame it because you also have a bucket of gas and you can pour that on the fire and make it explode. You have two options. Am I going to help or am I going to hurt? And the reality is you and I have that option in every relationship that we face as well. The option to help and the option to hurt. Which will we choose? Back to verse 7, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, they grew up hearing this stuff their whole lives, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak, being weak is defiled. In other words, they eat this food and they know they're not supposed to, or they think they're not supposed to. Food will not commend us to God. And this is one of the visions that Peter had. There are no more dietary restrictions once Jesus has given his life for us. 
all those dietary restrictions that the Jews and the Hebrews before them had to experience, Jesus said, who cares? That's not important anymore because you're not going to show your devotion to me by adherence to the law. You're going to show your devotion to me by your love. So I don't care what you eat. Eat whatever you want, which has not been a really worked out well for some of us, especially me. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Verse 9, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you, sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother to whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it was weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. In other words, if there is something that I know about the faith that might even hurt somebody else, I am not showing love by ignoring that this troubles them. Part of giving our lives away to others means we give our rights away to others. It means we give our freedoms away for others. It's interesting that when we read about Jesus and the law of love, he talks about being a slave to it. I'm literally willing to give up my freedom to do this freely in Christ because I know by doing this, even though you don't fully understand, this hurts you and I want to love you Therefore, I don't want to hurt you. And Paul is saying, this is so silly. That meat is like any other meat. But if it causes a person to stumble, I'll never eat it. Because I don't want to hurt them. Because instead, I'm called to love them. And so when we have the opportunity to love others, we have the opportunity not to hurt them. When our knowledge is more important than the effect of our lives on others, we have lost love. When we want to know more and whenever we can quote scripture about how someone's wrong, we've lost them because we have lost our ability to love. 1 John 4 says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. This is how we know, are you really a follower of Jesus? And this is tough. This is, I read this kind of stuff. I'm like, gosh, man, I don't think I'm a follower of Jesus. You ever do that? You ever read a verse and be like, Man, I'm, I'm like the worst. When I read these things, I think, uh, should I get rebaptized? Uh, should I step down from being a pastor? I'm just not sure that I measure up. By this we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. In other words, our relationship with him is built on the fact that he is our first love. That he loved us. That's what this is built on. His love for us. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Let me stop right there. Do you love as well as you did when you first knew Christ? I, I'm not sure I do many days. Do, do I really love people as much as I did when I first knew Christ? When his presence was first really felt? Do I really love people the way I did whenever I first knew that he's my Savior and I am saved forever? Do I feel compelled to let other people know that about me? Do I walk into a room and is my first thought, how do I love the people in this room? How do I fully love them? I mean, how can I not? God loved me. I know how unlovable I can be, yet God loved me. How can I not love the people in the room? Or do we walk in the room analyzing the threats? That's a threat level three. I'm going to stay away from them. Do we truly love others? 
Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. That is, again, our first love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. This is... One of those verses that I read and I go, man, I am really mad at somebody right now. I know you all don't do that, but I do. I'm really mad at them. There are times that my anger has to do with many different reasons. I'm, we've been working with them for so long and they are, they are going backwards. I'm mad at them for going backwards. So that's, that's kind of a bragging you know, anger, right? Sometimes I just get ticked off at people. Man, do you see him cut in front of me? I do not feel love in those moments. Do we feel love when we go to a restaurant and all of a sudden we're having to wait forever? Do we let them know, I'm not happy with you. I am now a threat level three for you. (laughs) What about when we go to the store and you are in the shortest line, but your line doesn't move and all the long lines do? You get angry. What about someone who attacks someone that you love? Oh, there's real anger there. When you start messing with the people we love, we always get more angry than if they mess with us. Do we get angry? What is our first response? I would love to say my first response when they attack my kids is that I love them. That is not my first response. Whenever something goes wrong at work for Deidre, I'll say, give me your boss's number. She never does. She's smart. She's smart like that. Although she appreciates, you know, me wanting to defend her. She knows I'm going to do something that's not helpful. If we hate our brother, and this is literally talking about other believers. If we hate our brother, the only way to build capacity for hate is to remove our capacity to love. They cannot fill the same space. We will hate or we will love. It is possible to be indifferent. Our hearts can become cold and dead because we've been hurt so many times. But we cannot, within the same heart, hate and love. And so that's why this is saying... If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He does not love his brother whom he has seen. Cannot, excuse me, start over. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Here's what I want to leave you with. Because again, I know this is one of those things that is so abstract. It's so difficult at times to, to leave you with what are good walking points away from this. But these are, here are a few thoughts I want to leave you to think about this week. Without loving others, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter if you get through the rest of this life, you have a good job, a good retirement, and you get to go on the best vacations all the time. Without love, none of that matters. There's a reason that the suicide rate is rising right now. And it's not because there's a lack of opportunity. It's because there's a lack of love in the world around us. Many times what ends up happening with us is we get so embroiled in how the church is being wronged in the world that we want to fight back. And what happens if we win the argument? Whatever argument's out there, because there's a whole bunch of them right now. What happens if we win the argument and we make them give us our rights? So we gain our rights and we lose the gospel. What good is that? The world doesn't see us loving what good is that that we have any rights? If the world doesn't see us going, sacrificing for others, 
What good is it that we have Christian CDs and Christian movies and churches talking about the gospel if there is no love attached to it? Because the only thing that matters in this world is love. The only thing that will be left when Jesus returns and does away with this world is love. The only thing that matters is love. You and I will spend our entire lives trying to figure out how to perfectly love as Jesus did. I haven't figured it out. You probably haven't figured it out. But I've devoted the rest of my life to trying to figure it out. And most of the time, I mess it up more than I get it right. But are we on the path to figure it out? The question comes up, if we've got to love others, is what is love? And again, this is so difficult. God is love, clearly. But that is just as abstract. As I mentioned earlier, if you have a child addicted to drugs and they feel that a, a loving action from you is to go buy them more drugs so that they can get their next high because they're about to explode without it, are you showing them love? Of course not. But they would feel that that was love in that moment. Whenever we define what love is based on how other people will feel about it, then we are no longer in the realm of what is the kind of love that God has. Because remember, when Jesus walked along and the Pharisees brought the woman who had sold herself and been with so many men, he told her, your sins are forgiven. He welcomed her and loved her, but he told her, don't do this anymore. So one of the misunderstandings in our world is the church is often going in two different directions. They're going in the realm of grace, or they're going in the realm of holiness. I'm going to give grace. I'm not going to hurt anybody. I'm going to let everybody know I'm on their team. I'm for them. I'm with them. I'm never going to make them feel bad about themselves or holiness. You can't do that. (laughs) You can't do that. Don't you know what the Bible says? You're going to hell for that. You cannot do that. And so when we have these competing voices, we have one saying, do whatever you want. I'm just going to sit here and not make you feel bad. And you've got this one saying, I don't care who you are or what you are. I'm going to tell you everything you've ever done this wrong. Whereas when we see Jesus, he had both. Fully grace, fully holy, with the ability to love in a way that said, there is a better way. There's a better way. Let me show you that better way. I wish we would get that as the church today, that we are bearers of both grace and holiness. I can be passionate about learning more about God. I can be passionate about growing closer, me personally to Jesus. I, I can do that, but sometimes I have to stop and I have to remember, and sometimes I have to do this when I'm preparing sermons, that this is not just about me and God. This is about all of us. And there are times that I have to say, God, I I could spend my entire day thinking about us. Oh, let's just, I'm just going to sit here with you and you teach me and I'm going to feel great and you're just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And yet if I don't take that out to others and show love to others, then what good is that? We've got to love. Do we look at service and leadership? And ask ourselves, am I loving well? Do we look at opportunities to sacrifice our time for the benefit of others? Do we see that as an act of love? That this is what Jesus would do? I know there are some weeks when on Sunday morning I want to sleep in. Oh my gosh, I want to sleep in. I think last week I actually turned to Deidre when we woke up. I said, let's just skip church today. (laughs) And uh, the thing that keeps us going, which I know is for some of you as well, I I love these folks. We, we, We need to see these folks. We need our lives to be impacted by these folks, and they need us in their lives. I know on Wednesday nights when Deidre is coming to do kids' time, and I know this about Deidre because I live with her, but I know many of you go through the same thing. Deidre has an incredible job, 
Everyone in her department relies on her, and not just in her where she works, but the entire part of our state relies on her. And so her responsibilities are not just at her job, but to help people that are doing what she's doing all across our state. I mean, I'm like small potatoes compared to what Deidre is responsible for. And when she comes home, she wants to work on the house for her family. She wants to prepare a meal for her family. And then she is going out on Wednesday nights to do kids' time. And I know she's exhausted. And it would be easy for her just to say, we just can't do it tonight. And we, we're connected enough. We could just let you know we're not doing kids' time tonight. And yet she goes. And why? Is it duty? No. Because she loves those kids. She gives of herself for those kids. She loves the women in this church. And I don't think she's in here because she'd kill me if she's in here and heard me talking like this. And so we've got a whole bunch of family coming over today. And, you know, if, if you're a woman and you've got family coming to your house, it's like DEFCON 4. You've got to get the house in shape. You know, for me, I'm like... There's places for them to sit. What's the big deal? You know, we can, we can push all this stuff off the table. There's a place for them to eat too. But not Deidre. She's got to be perfect. But she wanted to go spend time with the ladies last night. And so I looked at the kids and I said, guess what? We're finishing up the house tonight. And they were so excited. So we finished up the house last night while she was away so she could come home and not to do all that. Now, uh, let me just, my, my little fine print is my, uh, the house is finished and her, the house is finished is not necessarily the same definition. Amen, Thank you. <laughs> but we finished the house. And why did I do that? Because I had other things I wanted to do. It's because I love her. And so I wanted to help. See, when we let love infect our lives, it changes the way we respond to other people. I know there have been Sundays that Richard's been up here leading, and he's been sick, and he doesn't want to be here. I know some other of our worship leaders have been sick and not wanted to be here, and unless they're like puking at the moment, they're coming. And we may sequester them away from the rest of us, but they come because they love people here. We look at our student pastors who come on Wednesday nights, both working full-time and don't have a lot of help up in the student department, although I think that's changing. Many of you have kind of stepped in to help, but they've been doing this for how long now? Five years? It's because they love these kids. We walk back and we see you teaching and involved in these kids on a Sunday morning, I know that there are other things you would rather be doing probably. But you're doing it because you love those kids. Love changes things. It makes us go places we wouldn't go, do things we wouldn't do, give of ourselves in ways we would never have given of ourselves. I look at the guys that are up doing audio and video every week. I mean, they've got other things they could be doing. It's an expression of love. It's something they've experienced not because of me or because of us. It's because of what they've experienced with God, and it is an outpouring of love for others. Now look at our chaos management group. Many of you, that is a life-saving group. Their love for each other, to care about each other, communicate through the week. How are you doing? It's an expression of love because of relationship with Christ really incredible what happens when we let love interrupt our lives. We can only truly love when we love like Jesus does. Are the things in your life leading you to love more or love less? Does the music you listen to, do the lyrics lead you to love or to not love? What about the things we watch with our eyes, the TV shows, movies? Is the content of that stuff really moving us to love like Jesus does, or is it hardening us against what true love is? 
and everybody's sleeping with everybody, that's not true love. Whenever we'll show anything on TV anymore, that's not true love. It amazes me how much Hollywood talks about their willingness to work against women's rights and and they don't want women to be objectified. And I think, do you watch your own stuff? Are you kidding me? You objectify more women than anyone on the planet that I know of. And yet they talk about how noble they are. Are we absorbing that in our lives? If we go through and look at our CDs or playlists on our phones, how many are marked explicit? Is that leading us to love? Or is that killing the love that's in us? We've got to be careful how we live our lives. When we think about serving at the church, do we think about how do I love these people? Have we formed relationships? I know we're greeting and stuff, and that's, that's great. And I, you know, I love being able to go through, because some of you, you're gone as soon as the church is over. I never get to talk to you. You're like, they're gone. I love that I get to shake some hands that I wouldn't shake otherwise. But do we think on Sunday mornings, oh, we got to go to church today. Or do we think, man, I need to go see them. I need to go see how they're doing. I know they've been struggling. I need to make sure they're okay. I need to give them a hug. I need to encourage them. I know they were doing something hard this week. I want to go find out how it worked out. Yes, you can do that on Facebook. But no, you, that will never replace face-to-face, skin-to-skin contact. Now, if they made you mad, let's not do skin-to-skin contact, all right? Let's keep that out. Let's not do that. <clears throat> I cannot grow closer to Jesus if I am not loving people. It's impossible. I can learn, the, I can memorize the entire Bible. If I'm not loving people, I'm not growing closer to Jesus. And what I want to leave with you for this whole rambling talk this morning about love, the, why I wanted to include it in this part of our series, is when we're talking about being the body of Christ, we are not the church if we are not growing in our love for others. Bottom line. I want to ask you guys to pray for my parents today. my father's best friend passed away Saturday, went shooting with him every week. They're struggling. His friend, Bill, is an incredible guy. I love being with him. We just, Jake and I just went shooting with him a few weeks ago. Passed away. Poor health. They're at that age when this begins to happen with their peers, but these were some close ones. But he's a Christian. He's going, to, he's going to heaven. My mother's brother has been diagnosed with brain cancer, and they've given him six weeks to live. She's going to fly out to California to see them. They were here a few, just in October. They were here. We don't know if he's a believer. Love him to death. He's just loved our family, but we don't know if he's a believer. Can I tell you that if we're going to love, we need to pray for those who are hurting? But more than that, We need to find those people who don't know Jesus and show them what Jesus looks like. That's who we are as a church. We've got to go out and show them what Jesus looks like. We've got to tell them the gospel so that at the moment that they are facing Jesus themselves in a time of judgment, that they know he is their Savior. It doesn't matter how much we love and make happy faces and we give big hugs and we tell people how wonderful they are if we never tell them about Jesus. So if you want to love somebody, go out from this place today determined that you're going to see people different and you are going to tell people about your relationship with Christ. That's something that when this time comes and they're gone, we won't get a second chance. Let's love others. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I I thank you that we can love because you've loved us. I thank you that my imperfect ability to know even how to do that is overwhelmed by who you are and your spirit within us. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, we would look at people differently so that we would see how can I love them. We go to work this week, we will look at our coworkers and not look at frustrating people who drive us crazy, but instead we'll ask ourselves, how can I love them? 
Father, I pray that when we're on the road and someone cuts us off, we will not jump to anger, but we will recognize something's going on in their lives and they feel that they have to rush. Help us to love them. Father, whenever we look at friends that may be rejecting us and we are giving ourselves for them, but they continue to reject us, let us not interpret that with anger and then to then reject them, but instead show us how can we love them. And Father, Whenever we encounter someone who seems impossible for us to love, I pray that you would give us just a glimpse, just a moment of how impossible it would have been to love us, but you still chose to love us. Let us just have a glimpse of that so that we can see no one, no one is beyond our ability to love. Father, help us to be the body of Christ in this place and in this time. Let it be said about us. That while we may not have done many things well, let it be said that we loved well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.